0: The thing about looking at our own selves, when, whenever we put our focus on ourselves, we're going to feel disappointed. We're going to feel like we're looking at something that's incomplete, that isn't holy. So what I would like for us to do in this series and what we started to do last week is we'll shift our focus away from our own hearts. And we're going to look at the heart of God. Thus, the title of our series, because our God is a God who is incredible. And he has an incredible love and an incredible heart. And so today what I'm asking you to do is do your very best as I preach to you today to gaze at the heart of a God like our God. We're going to take some time to examine uh, something about his heart throughout this series. And if I do my job well, I hope that... That by the time we are finished with this series, we all will be in agreement that our God is incredible. It's just amazing what he is and, and how he is and, and what he does. And I hope that this whole series will help us all see it a little more clearly than we ever have before. I'm praying that God will help me to preach something that will maybe stir up in our minds. Something we might not have thought very much about. I was preparing a message the other day about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I spent a few moments writing there about heaven's banquet hall. And if you will, for just a few minutes, let your mind go there. I I don't know that I could ever find the words to describe it, but I will say that like everything else in heaven, the... The banquet hall where the marriage supper of the Lamb will occur is unlike anything we have ever seen here on earth. I think that the hall is beyond uh, anything that we can compare here as far as its its beauty. It's constructed not with earthbound materials or earthbound minds or earthbound hands, but by the, the God of heaven and earth, the God who created everything. And this I know that in heaven, I believe anyway, the building materials are very different than they are here on earth. And I think the very most precious things that we have on earth are kind of the lowest denominator of building materials in heaven. My, my, I stand on that because I know that the, my Bible tells me that the streets are pure gold. What we would consider pure and and beautiful and very precious becomes just a road, just a footpath in heaven. And I believe that there are materials in heaven that we have not seen. I think that there are are nuances of colors that we have not ever laid our eyes on in heaven. I think they're different in heaven than they are here. And I believe to be seated at that banquet and to see the beauty of that room will be absolutely mind-blowing. I think about maybe the sounds there in heaven. And again, I believe that where we have music here and I love good music, I enjoy it as much as many of you do. I appreciate it. I think that there are time signatures and there are there are notes that are played in heaven. And there is a tone that comes out of the voice of an angel that is so much different than than what we have heard on earth. And I think the music that flows through that hall will be astounding. I think it will move us. I think it will be a powerful and and beautiful sound that we have never heard before. I know for a fact that according to the word of God, the light in heaven is different than the light that we have here on earth. We have the light of the sun, but the Bible says that our God will be the source of the light there in heaven. And I believe that there will be a difference about it. I believe it would be far more beautiful than it is here on earth. And let me tell you, I have great appreciation for God's creation. I love seeing the things on earth that are beautiful to see. One of the, my favorite things to do on vacation is just go find a spot that a whole lot of human development isn't in. And stand on a mountain somewhere or go out in the middle of the ocean where I can't even see land. And look at the beauty of that. Whatever I can do. But I like to stare at stuff that man hasn't made because god does it great but i don't think it touches what god has done in heaven and the bible describes a scene of the marriage supper of the lamb where every person who is part of god's god's family is there I think about that, and I think of the people who will be present at the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And there will be people from every age group, every culture, every nation, every tribe, every language. And they'll be seated around some tables. And what do those tables look like? What are they like? Are they round? Are they square? Are they big, long uh, rectangles? Or are are they something different? Is there a shape there that we don't even understand? I don't know. I just know it will blow our minds. And I think about food and, you know, you look at me once, you know that I like to eat. Okay, I do. I enjoy good food. I can't imagine what this is going to smell like. I can't imagine what it's going to be, because, again, the food won't be prepared by our grandmoms. Food will be prepared by God himself. Angels. And so what will that smell like? What will that taste like? What will those tables look like? My mind goes there, and I think about that, and, and it's kind of mind-boggling. But the Bible does describe it. And the other day, as I was kind of thinking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I was writing these things down, uh, because of the way that my mind works, I'm, I'm, I'm one who paints pictures in my mind. I'm, I'm a very tactile person, and I'm a daydreamer. And so if you ever, by the way, if you ever happen to come in and I'm just sitting there staring at a, a, a computer screen blankly, usually that means I'm just in one of my little daydreams. I, I was that kind of kid in school. But what that does when, my, when your mind works like mine, you, you build pictures and you see things in, in your brain, you know, that, that that's just what happens with me. And I was thinking the other day about what that's going to be like. And something occurred to me. That day when we all gather around that table, every person in that room will be for family. That invitation to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me read it to you from Revelation chapter, what is it, chapter 19. Let me read verse 9 to you. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And what occurred to me is that everyone who receives an invitation is family. It's all family sitting around those tables. It's a family meal. Because every person seated around those tables, with the exception of one person, has been adopted. Every one of us will be adopted. And by the way, as I preach here, I'm looking at a a lot of people who have been adopted by God. It's one of my favorite doctrines of the scripture. And let me say this to you. I believe that one of the key things, that that one of the key reasons why Jesus was sent by his heavenly father to earth was so that we would see a reflection of the heart of God. And again, today we're looking at God's heart and we're we're gazing at at him and we're considering what kind of God he is. And to me, this whole doctrine of the scriptures about how God adopts people into his family is one of the most beautiful things that I have ever thought about. The thought that God the father would see us and he would love us and he would adopt us in and make us his very own. Our creator, creator has his heart beats to not just be a distant God somewhere, not just be a creator who just put things in motion, but our creator's heart beats to make us his very own and to be very, very near and intimate with us. There's a passage of Scripture. I was in uh, my quiet time uh, reading uh, a devotional thought, and I I can still remember the day when this just seemed to leap off the page, and it occurred to me that this was me. And I'll, I'll confess to you, you know that I'm an emotional guy. I began to cry when I read this because I was so moved by what it said. God is speaking to the Israelites, a people that he made his very own, a people that he adopted. And I want you to hear what he says to them, because this is his heart for you and me as well. And say, and this is a direct quote from God. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by. And saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Do you understand what it is that God was saying? God was saying that that he, he saw this, this poor infant that was born on the day that, that this infant was born. And nobody cared to care for the baby. Nobody did anything but take the child to a field and throw it out. And discard the child like refuge. I want you to hear me today and understand something today. Jesus made a revelation to the people of Israel, and it translates to us today. The Israelites were kind of proud of the fact that God had made them the, his people. And they were fond of saying in Jesus' day, we're children of Abraham. That's because they had come from his seed, that the whole nation of Israel had been born from Abraham and, and from his seed. And they took pride. They believed that that set them apart. They believed that that made the, a distinction for them. And so they took pride in the fact that their father was Abraham. But Jesus revealed to them the truth. In reality this is true of every single human being who is ever born. When we are born, our father in spiritual terms is the devil. And let me tell you the description that is given here of this child thrown out with the cord not cut, kicking in their own blood, that's exactly what the devil does to people. That's his value for people. I believe that the demonic, horrible practice of killing babies in in their own mother's wombs is from the heart of the devil, our father, without God. And the Bible says that he finds this, this baby kicking in its own blood, not cleaned up. And God looks at that child and has compassion and says, live i make you mine. And it was God who loved and and caused the nation of Israel to thrive. When I read that passage, I said, God, that's what you did for me. When you saw me, there was nothing good about me. Others would have discarded me. Others would have thrown me out to the field and left me for dead. But you saw value in. And I want you to hear me today that God is not a God who creates people and then just steps away. But he is a God who has a heart to be our father. I love this foundational biblical doctrine of adoption because it declares the intent of God. When he creates people, he is always His heart is always to make them his very own. From your conception and actually before you were conceived, God's plan for your life was to one day adopt you and make you his. What a powerful, wonderful thing. I want to remind you today... That it would have been pretty appropriate that when God created people, it would have been absolutely appropriate for him to treat us much like people who are in the Muslim faith are taught that their God treats people. As you know, the Muslim God, little g, and there is no other God but the God of the Bible. And so God, little g, their God Treats people are, are they are taught that their God is very, very great. That God is is enormous and he does what he wants to do. Muslims are taught that People must initiate any and all contact with God. You go to God. God doesn't come to you. You seek Him. You go after Him. That's a great distinction between the Christian faith and the Muslim belief. The Christian faith and the Bible teaches us that God initiates contact with people. But the Muslim God and the Muslims are taught that if you're going to have any kind of contact with God, you must initiate it because God is an impersonal God. You'll never have a personal relationship with Him and you'll never be able to call Him Father. You call Him Allah. He is great. And that's why the Muslims constantly say, God is great. They don't have a personal relation. They're not taught that their God loves all people. He only loves those He chooses to live, love, and that's as if they subjugate themselves to Him in service and willing to sacrifice their lives for Him. Allah expects people to come to Him and know their place. The Muslim God does not have an intimate relationship with a person. And frankly, God, the true God, would have been appropriate, I think, to do that with people if that's what he wanted to do because he designed us and he created us and he could do anything he wants. Here's what's amazing to me. It's to see the heart of a God who loves us. Loves us so much that he would send his son to pay a penalty for stuff we did. It is amazing that God would do such a thing. Church, I want you to hear me, and I want you to make this personal. God loves people. He values them. I love looking at the heart of God. Are you seeing it today? He loves when people choose to love him back. It is his will, and the Bible says this, I love this scripture, it is not his will that any person should perish, but that all should come to him in repentance. And I love this open-armed God. One of my favorite passages tells us that um, he says to us, come, come on to me. That's his word. And he is that kind of God. His arms are open. And when a person seeks him, God does the impossible. Folks, let's just be honest, man. There's there's, There's a vast, vast difference between me and God. And it's just almost unthinkable that a being like me could even approach a great and mighty God. But here's what happened. And through Jesus Christ, when, whenever any human being seeks God, he closes the gap. And he does the unthinkable. And he makes them his own. He adopts them into his family. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just say, okay, I forgive you, and now you're righteous, go your way. No, God enters into a father-to-child relationship. He brings you in. And this is, to me, so unthinkable. This is the heart of God. The Bible tells us then that after he adopts us, that his love for us is the same as it is for his son, Jesus Christ. And one day, when God gives an inheritance... To Jesus and reward to Jesus, the Bible tells us that we're co-heirs. And he gives us the things that he gives to his son, Jesus Christ. He has a heart for people. And this is a beautiful doctrine to look at the fact that God adopts people and brings them into his family and he begins to love on us as he loves any other. So I'm often fond of telling people if you're if you're a human being today, God loves you as much as he loves Billy Graham. And I think he loves Billy Graham. Because it's not based on your merit, it's based on the merit of Jesus Christ and the heart of God. So I want to look at the scripture again just a little bit. And this, I'm going to march through this. I'm not going to be very long on this message. But I want to look again on what this scripture says to us about God's heart and, and the, the whole adoption thing. First thing that I want to note with you and I ask you to notice with me is that God chose us. Not us choosing him. He chose us. Verses 4 and 5. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predetermined, predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's a huge verse there. Those are powerful words that we get to look at. And it shows us this God's heart. Even before the world was created, God knew your name. And he chose you. He picked you. And he says, that's one I'm going to adopt. That's one I want to come in. And again, I remind you of the Scripture that says God's not willing for anybody to perish. His arms are wide open. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think of yourself. God chooses you. And listen today, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian today, God started that. God did that. God initiated that. He chose you. He saw you. He pointed you out. He says, I love this one and I'm willing to adopt them. And he opened up his arms and he made it made it way possible. It's an amazing thing. Please don't gloss over the significance of those world. Adopted children are chosen children. And I have friends who have adopted children and one of the things that they get to, to say to their children who have been adopted, you know, you're different. You when people are born to a family, you pretty much that's whoever's born to you, you, you you take them home. That's your kid, you know. But but adopted child is unique in that, you know, they had choices. They had options and they chose that child. And I can tell you, God had options. But he chose you before the foundation of the world. He planned on you to be his his child. He he desired it. He planned on it. He looked at you and he chose to be your father. And let me say something to you. All of us are where this baby was in Ezekiel. We were all there. We weren't lovely when God saw us, but God loved us and he chose us and he said live. What a powerful, wonderful thing to be adopted by the Father today. He saw you. He loved you before you ever knew anything about him, before you ever cared. And he chose to adopt you. The second thing I want to mention to you is after he chose you, he made a way. And this wasn't a small thing. Verses 7 through 9, in him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins in accordance to with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding He made known to us this mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he proposed and and purposed in Christ. A few congregations that I have pastored in have had people in there in the congregation who have adults who have gone into other countries in the world and adopted a child and brought them home, and made them their own. And I will tell you, first of all, it's not a notion. It's not a small little thing to adopt somebody domestically, let alone to go into a a third world country somewhere, and to bring a child out. A lot of times in the process of adopting a child, uh, the parents run into, while they're in country, just about to take their child, they run into corrupt uh, officials who want bribery, They run into a whole lot of difficulties. It isn't easy to go into a third world country and to find a child and to bring children back. But I will tell you something. It is a heroic, wonderful thing. It costs these families dearly to do this thing. I still remember when Philip came into our church. He was a little boy at the time um, who came from the, the nation of Liberia. And Liberia had been decimated by war and there were so many orphans and they have orphanages in uh, the continent of Africa, many orphanages. And there in Liberia, this boy was in an orphanage where it was the survival of the fittest and children were dying and starving to death every day because the bigger children were abusing them and taking their food. And when Philip was found, he had malaria, he had a parasite, he was deathly ill, he was very next to death's door. And this family saw Philip and they did all that they had to do, went through the great expense of going to get him and and doing all the, the work that they had to do. And they chose Philip and they went through a process to get him out of there and they got him just in time and they saved his life. He would have died. But he thrives today because a loving, godly set of parents believed that the Lord sent them to get this boy. And he was literally rescued. Then there was Lily, same family, went back to the same nation, to a different orphanage. And little girls in Africa who don't have parents end up on the street, and they end up in the sex trade if they survive to be that old. And their lives are horrible. They're mistreated. They're abused. They have horrible lives. And they don't have much of an opportunity for education or anything else. And they found Lily in this orphanage, this precious little girl. And they brought her home. They saved her life. I think about a young lady by the name of Alicia who came into our church and she was in Colombia, and the neighborhood that she lived was right there in the thick of the cartel the drug cartels gunplay was a common occurrence in her world. Belicia's relatives, some of them had died by by the cruelty of the drug cartel. Belicia had very little opportunity for a real life until the day that she was adopted by godly people who went into that land and braved going into a very dangerous area. And they saved her life. And she came into our church speaking only Spanish. A beautiful little girl. She thrives today because somebody had the courage to go adopt her. And I can tell you other stories of that. But my point is this. God did all that He had to do in order to secure an adoption for you. It's all done. He sent His Son into a world where He would die at the hands of the very people He was trying to save. He did all of that to close a gap that you could not close. There was nothing you and I could do. We were that baby kicking in our own blood with our cords still attached. And we were were going to die. And he sent Jesus to the world. And he did all of this process and all of this work so that whoever wants to, he stands with open arms and he says, I'm willing to be your dad. You don't have to be a child of the evil one anymore. You will be loved here. You will be cared for here. And you will have an eternal life with me. I'm willing to be your father. And the adoption, if you will, it was as if he stands in front of people with a piece of paper in his hand, a legal document, and say, I'm willing to put your name right there and adopt you and bring you home. That's a powerful thing. I, what I'm trying to remind you all of is this. God the Father has done literally everything that needed to be done through Jesus so that you can be his child. There's no excuse for us here on earth to say that God didn't do enough. We can't look at God when we stand before Him in judgment and say, God, I would have come to You or I would have been Your child, but You did this or You didn't do this or I didn't like Your rules. God has done everything that we need done in order to be adopted and belong to Him. Finally, and this is so very, very important to me. Let me just back up one second. I'm, I'm reading something I have in our notes. I want to remind you, I, I put the title adopted by Abba. That is how Jesus referred to his father in heaven. Abba is the Hebraic, I'm sorry, the Aramaic word for daddy. And that that depicts the way God wants to relate to you. He wants to be your daddy. It stirs my heart. I want to say finally about what these scriptures tell us and, and certainly finally about this adoption process. In the end, God puts it into our hands. He's already chosen us, but he has given us opportunity to reject them. He's already done everything that he can do. He, he stands there with, with the adoption papers and he's ready and he says, I'll be your dad. All you have to do is let me. All you have to do is agree that you want to be my child and you want to follow me. And, and he even gives us Jesus to follow. The Father has said it is ultimately up to us. Let me read just three scriptures to you and then I'll, I'll move forward. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this, Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Revelation 22, I love this. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And Deuteronomy 30, a powerful passage of Scripture, when the man of God stood before the nation of Israel and spoke for God. And he said, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. These are just three of many scriptures that animate this. God the Father freely offers eternal life for us and freely offers to become our Father. And it is our choice. We get to choose. And God is never going to encroach on that. Understand that. Understand that God offers to adopt you. God offers to make you his child. And he's ready to do it. But it ultimately is our decision. I'm going to say this to you one more time. God already chose you. Have you chosen him? Have you chosen to believe? Have you turned? Have you accepted him? Have you walked into the embrace of the God who loves you?